Out From Work podcast. My name's Dave Swillam. Let's get ready to hustle. Hey, and welcome back, guys and gals, to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 61 today. We're coming back off of a week break, and it still feels weird kind of putting this one out there, but we had to make sure that we were keeping connected with you guys through the time. So last week, we took the week off to kind of give some radio waves and some space back to people that really need a voice right now. And, uh, honestly just didn't have anything to say that week when this started going down. There's a lot more in front of us of what needs to happen right now. But first weekend, I just needed some time to even just go hang out myself and collect my thoughts and figure out what exactly is going on. So tons of love to everyone out there. Hope everyone has been well. And, uh, Really hope that our our country can move forward right now and and get what it needs done. So, on a non uh, note on that episode sixty one today, we are talking with Sean Giovanni from the record shop down in Nashville, Tennessee, and Sean and I linked up really, really kinetically through so many different things that we believe in and kind of processes that I think both of our minds kind of vibe in. So it was really fun conversation with him. I got a lot out of it. He is the owner of a recording studio, but if you're not an audio person, don't run away. We stayed right in the middle on this one, just like I try to as a creative entrepreneurship podcast. And even though you're definitely going to hear studio stories, musician stories throughout all this, there is so many good pieces in here for how to navigate business as a creative, how to structure your day, how to learn and be forward with value, how to approach mentors, how to connect people the right and wrong way to the network. There's just a really great story in Sean hitting Nashville at age 20 and figuring shit out that I think is super applicable to really anyone in the creative space. And there's a lot of principles that he's bringing to the table just from two different worlds that he seems to walk the line of through his life very perfectly. And uh, just lots of good stories in here. He's produced some really big names that I'll, I'll shout out right when we start off the episode here. Very down to earth guy, super easy and chill to talk to. And at the end, he encourages you to talk to him too. So if you uh, are down for it, you definitely should hit him up, check out some of his things. Really, really good person. Great conversation here. Welcome to episode 61. Thank you guys for listening. So welcome everyone on Instagram. Welcome people to the Waking Up From Work podcast. You're listening to episode 61 today on the podcast. Today we have on Sean Giovanni also known as Giovanni, also known as Gio, uh, a record producer, but really a sonic storyteller out of the record shop out of Nashville, Tennessee. Sean 
speaks at a lot of NAM conventions and, and other spaces. Uh, I've seen you on like content for, for gear and equipment and things like that, that you use. Um, if you don't know some of his work, he's been working, he's worked with John Legend, Juicy J, Zach Wild, Tim McGraw. And I pulled that stuff off of like a NAM statement. So I'm sure that there's a million artists that uh, you've worked with past that man that I, I haven't mentioned. He's also the co-creator of Mind Map which is, uh, he's going to explain it better than me, but which is essentially combining some business coaching and some history in the audio business and music business to find a way to really bring forward those two worlds together to help creatives, musicians, artists, and, and, and everything in the like to bring the worlds together. And we got linked up um, from, I think, is it your assistant or like, who, who is it that, that yeah, Addie, Addie is for you? Addie? Yeah, her name her name's Addie. We got linked up through Addie, Sean, but like when she showed me your stuff and then I kind of just jumped and snooped a little bit on seeing that, I felt like such a connection, man, because I obviously am, am working as a as an audio engineer. That's my love and my life and working with artists to do those things. But also it's not every day you run into someone else that also is very business forward, very business minded. And I felt both of those two worlds from you. So I was like, this is going to be such a fun conversation to have with this guy. Cause I feel like we're super akin. Absolutely. Thanks for yeah, being I felt on. The same way when we started chatting, I think it's going to be a great conversation. Right on. Welcome, man. Thank you. Do you want to tell, uh, just for people that might not know you, Sean, you want to run people through like, what is the record shop? Uh, where where did you come from, and and what is this stuff in in Sean Giovanni? Yeah, well, I am a um, product of a father who was a big fan of all kinds of different styles of music, and I grew up listening to uh, a lot of different stuff. I went to a lot of concerts. I, I saw the felt the energy and the impact of of music as a as a soundtrack to different experiences in life, like really early on, and just fell in love with it. And um, that led me to have an interest in helping other artists create their art as a, as a producer. Uh, I moved to Nashville when I was 20 years old, um, started my career kind of on my own as a freelance person and um, worked, worked my way up. And, and during that time, I was doing a lot of research on uh, freelancing, entrepreneurship, how to build a career in an industry um, on your own, you know, alternative ways of, um, of, of building a career independently. And, uh, and through doing that, I, and, and through the experience that I had working with artists, I started to formulate this idea of what became the record shop, uh, which is intended to be a production company that helps artists achieve their artistic vision and sure. produce music that will outlast us. And that came from my interest in wanting to be more involved than just pressing buttons and turning knobs or just making some suggestions on uh, a certain like production technique or just being a mixing engineer. I really loved every aspect of it, and right. I really enjoyed collaborating with artists. So that was really the foundation of what ended up becoming the record shop. Uh, today, the record shop's a multimedia production company. I spend most of my time producing records and uh, overseeing project coordination for all types of different multimedia um, content creation for our, our clients. Awesome. Yeah. When we talked earlier, there were a lot of things about your early uh, intro into how this happened that hit home for me. First thing that you said, you know, and I think you broke it down even more in our conversation earlier to prep up was you were talking about when you were 20, you moved out there and you started, 
you know, seeing this, this hole in the industry, not so much a hole, but just a difference. And you're like, I can't just move here and, and work somewhere because there's not really that type of, it's not really that type of industry at that time. And it definitely isn't now. I have to create my own income, create my own living. It's not something that, you know, like we, uh, many people that are, are audio engineers are trying to be, or whatever it may be. I think a lot of us have applied to places or interned at places and we've looked for work. And I think we all know how competitive that is anyway. But then like, at least from my side, I just found that I wasn't going to make the living that I wanted in every sort of aspect if I didn't own or, or create what it was that I was doing. And so I interned at places and I've worked at places, but ultimately that's what I'm hearing from you is you had to create what it is that you're doing because you're like, you know what, this isn't going to make sense for me to be working in this place because it's either not going to be enough income or enough hours, or it's not going to be the right fit for me and and the things that I'm trying to do with my vision. How did that kind of realization happen? Were you applying to places and not getting what you wanted out of it? Like what went into that? Yeah. When I first started recognizing that there was a way to make a living uh, working in a studio and creating music, uh, I was really excited. And I started reading autobiographies about producers, engineers, songwriters, uh, the music business as a whole. Um, and I got, got really, I was really focused like where I made the decision in high school, but the, the whole like story really started around middle school. Uh, and, and learning that and everything that I read and the stories that I heard and documentaries that I watched, there was kind of this process in the industry decades ago where you had an interest in, uh, in producing or engineering, or maybe you were a guitar player that had a knack for sound. And you might get a, uh, an assistant job at a studio um, right. where you kind of clean up or help set up microphones, uh, maybe operate the tape machine. Uh, and you would work your way up, you know, slowly but surely you'd get more co- competent. You might have a, a second tier artist that would come into the studio and the staff engineer or producer wasn't going to work on it. So they put you on the gig and then you do a good job. You make a relationship with them and then you get some clients that come in and they ask for you. Uh, eventually you become, you know, a staff engineer and then you might graduate to being a producer and then you go off independently or, or a label brings you on as a staff producer. And that was sort of my idea of what I needed to do when I, when I decided to move to Nashville. Uh, so my first step was contact every studio in town, uh, contact every producer I could find, every engineer that I could find and just see if anybody needed an assistant. I figured that's the place to start. And what I found was that, um, I got very few responses and the responses that I did get were pretty much um, either, if it was an independent person, um, they would say, I'm having enough trouble keeping my business going, let alone bringing somebody on. Uh, I'd love to help you, but I just can't. Uh, Or studios that would offer internships, but they already had relationships with local universities that most of their interns came from. And the school that I went to did not have an internship program. So I Mm. ran into a, a weird scenario where if I wasn't getting college credit for an internship, many of the studios wouldn't hire me as an intern. Interesting. And so that whole idea kind of went right out the window. But eventually, before I moved to Nashville, I found I finally found that magic opportunity. And there was someone that uh, liked the my background and how long I had been after this and and the work that I had done in school. And they uh, they thought that I had some really great potential and offered me an opportunity to to come to town for an internship. And uh, there was the potential for me to become an assistant engineer if I was able to uh, do a good job as an intern for about a month or so, learn the ropes, and then I could come on as an assistant. So uh, I packed up my truck. I drove to Nashville. I got a lease on an apartment, uh, showed up for work the first day and found out that um, that 
uh, internship that uh, was not going to be able to happen because of that uh, issue that I mentioned about the oh. college credit thing. It was the only person that didn't bring it up in the interview. And um, I just wasn't going to bring it up because I didn't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers. And I thought, well, maybe they're thinking creatively about how they can yeah. bring me on. And um, we weren't able to work it out, unfortunately. However, oh. that person became a great mentor for me uh, and really was one of the reasons that I probably stuck around Nashville as, uh, as long as I did until things started picking up because he gave me the, the hope that, hey, look, you, you took the initiative to, to pick up everything and move out here on your own, not knowing a single person for just for a small opportunity. There's plenty of opportunity in this town. You just got to get to work. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he, he gave me some good inspiration and he was always willing to take a phone call or, or meet for lunch to give me some advice and, um, and help me recognize that there was a way to do it. It was just different than what I thought. Right. And so I learned that the, you know, the new music industry was going to be very much freelance focused. And, uh, that's when I set out to start to find my own clients and, um, you know, build, build my own, uh, client base on, on my own rather than relying on someone else for it. I love that. Yeah. I think that the, the new industry is very much exactly what you just said, where like, it's not like there isn't work. It's not like you can't pursue this life and this living. It's just, it has to be done in a different way. And it's much less linear from what I've seen. It's not so much as like, like before you said, like, this is the path, right? This is what we've known as the path is, you know, you do follow this internship, you follow these steps. It's like, now it's, it's, it's a lot less linear and it's kind of like a grab and go of, of the different components of how you get there, but using still like a lot of the, the same things, like, like just making sure that, you know, people making sure you're a good human being, making sure you do good work. There's a lot of the same things, but it's just a different path than before. Definitely. Yeah. So there was something that I learned early on in that regard, when you talked about knowing people. And uh, it was the it was the idea of networking. I went to a small trade school to to learn kind of the the, the higher level of audio engineering before I moved out here. Sure. And um, the the extent of our business training as for our career training was network. That was pretty much everything that every instructor said. Just go out and network. Hmm. But the the in the main like connotation around it was go around meet people. Eventually, you might find an opportunity. You might find someone to collaborate with. Just meet a lot of people. But there wasn't a lot of discussion about like the, the value of a relationship as opposed to just a network mm. or the, the people that you would meet or the people that you kind of know or that you met one time in a bar. Uh, and so what I started to learn was that the, the, the relationship was really the, the key to that. And, and in order to have a relationship, there's a, there's a give and take. You have to bring something of value. That person might provide something of value to you. You support each other. And so I, I, I quickly learned that just going out and meeting people was fun and I made some new friends and it, and, it, and it can definitely lead to some connections and some like chance opportunities. But the really great opportunities started to come when I was able to clearly articulate what it was that I intended for my career, what I was going after and what my skill sets were. Mm. Initially, when I was looking for internships and jobs, one of the big reasons that I didn't get a lot of responses back was because I sent the same email that dozens of other graduates sent to that studio manager the same day. I said, hey, I'm Sean. I just graduated from this recording school. I have a degree in audio engineering. Uh, do you have any positions available? Right. And of course, they don't have any positions available, uh, you know, because they're, 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 there's not any extra, you know, positions. And, but that doesn't mean that there's not opportunity. And that's the, that's the big thing that I, had to, that I had to learn. What I found was that I could get a response or I could at least start a conversation if I personalized the reason that I was reaching out to them. So I would look at the studio and look at, uh, what types of clients were they working with? Were there ones that I authentically was interested in? 
right. uh, were there engineers that worked there that I looked up to? Did that specific studio manager have a background in the industry um, that that I that I looked up to? Was there some sort of you know connection or influence there um, that made sense? Uh, and and then I looked at the type of work that they would do. So what what was something that maybe I could provide that would be unique to their um, their situation? Mm. And one of the things that I found was programming. So when I moved to town, by, by programming I mean track production, like synthetic track production. Sure. And uh, when I when I moved to town. Um, there was definitely some of that happening, but it's not was not at all like it is now, where where there's a lot of stuff that's very track driven in the in the country world, for example, and um and that but that was something that I had a lot of experience with. So um I, I my first gig for a, a label was actually scratching a record and doing a drum loop on a country track that they wanted to have kind of like a hip hop undertone to. Nice. And that came out of a relationship that I had with another songwriter who was running a hot dog stand across the street from Warner. And <laughs> there was a um, label guy that was coming out of his office and he got a hot dog from the guy. And he said, hey, you're kind of, you know, you got your ear to the street around here. Do you know any DJs that could, um, that could scratch and like add some beats to a track? And he goes, yeah, my buddy Gio. He li- he, he's got an apartment two blocks down the road. He's got all his stuff set up there. I had this little apartment on Music Row with a little makeshift studio set up in it. Um, and he said, yeah, man, here's his number. Give him a call. So I get this random call. And, uh, and he says, Hey, we got this, we got this track. This is what we're looking for. And I was like, I'm the man for the job. I can, I can do it for you. He walked down the street, handed me the hard drive. Um, I worked on the track for a couple hours, uh, brought it back over to their office. They checked it out. They loved it. Um, and it ended up being a song that did, uh, did pretty well, um, on radio. So, um, that all, that all came from that, that started to help me recognize this importance of like finding, finding a niche or a specialty. So yeah. then I, I completely transformed the way that my messages and my phone calls and my interactions were with people. I started focusing on the things that were unique to me. I started talking more about like my passions and less about like, hey, do you have a job? Uh, and started learning more about the things that, that other people might, might need that I could be of service to. Mm. Uh, and uh, and the, the second experience that I had that was similar to that was in um, Pro Tools operation. So for me, like I started recording when I was in middle school and everything was all analog for me. I had a little four track cassette recorder. I had a couple of turntables, I had a drum machine, a keyboard. Um, I would make little tracks. I would bring, over, bring my buddies over to play guitar and, and we, we would um, record very makeshift, you know, demos and stuff. Sure. Um, and so when I went to college, I was introduced to digital recording for the first time, which was super cool. And uh, for some reason, I think a, a lot of it came from my experience with analog stuff early on. Uh, but I was able to take on to Pro Tools pretty quickly. And I, I, I tested out of like the, the Pro Tools certification stuff and went through the course pretty quickly. I started working for one of my instructors as a Pro Tools operator. And I had a lot of, basically, you know, I had a lot of experience working in Pro Tools. And so I moved to, moved to town and uh, I found in a session that someone was letting me sit in on that not everyone at that time was as proficient in Pro Tools operation. So there cool. were some engineers that had been around for a while, really, like they came up on analog tape. They were really just starting to get comfortable in the digital realm. And, uh, and I, was, I was feeling really good in that space. So there was one particular session I was sitting in on, and the, um, there was a manager in the back of the room. The engineer was there that was letting me sit in on with him, and he wanted to take a coffee break. So he said, hey, can you um, fly around this chorus, which is where you take one chorus and copy and paste it to another section of the song and sure. do a little edit on this vocal? Um, and I said, yeah, sure. So I jumped in and, um, and did it, you know, real quick, which I thought was just like a normal amount of time. Um, but the, the, um, and then I just hollered to the guy in the lounge and said, Hey, I'm, I'm done. And he came back in and he goes, no, I told you to, you need to copy it. I was like, yeah, it's right. It's right there. And they both looked at me kind of, you know, dumbfounded and they're like, how'd you do that so fast? And I showed wow. him this little like, you know, trick or however I would, 
you know, do it and, and, and sort of finding where the, the, the grid would be and dropping it in quickly. Um, and the, fortunately the manager in the back of the room was paying attention to that and, and noticed it. So after the, the session, he started asking me a couple questions about, you know, where I was from, how long I was in town and, uh, how long I'd been in town and kind of what my, you know, what I had been doing and that sort of thing. And he offered me a job as a digital editor on a record for a, a blues rock artist named Jimmy Hall. Wow. And, uh, and that was my first like major credit, uh, with a, you know, with a big artist, uh, as a Pro Tools editor. Um, and that just came out. So once I had these couple little things happen, I started to recognize I didn't, I, you were not supposed to be the person that's just willing to do everything, even though you should be willing to do everything. Don't like lead with that. I needed to lead with, um, these are the things that I have a lot of experience in. And once I started doing that, the, the door started opening up and I started finding people that I could really flourish with. Wow. That's such an awesome statement. You need to be willing to do everything, but you shouldn't lead with doing everything. You should lead with whatever it is that you do best. I really like that. Absolutely. Statement. That was something I just found through experience. And I think that applies to any sort of creative endeavor when you're, you know, you, we all have our specialties and the things that we really take too quickly and, uh, you know, and do really well. And we can, as creatives, we can do a lot of different things because we're creative and we find we're problem solvers, you know, we find solutions and figure out how to, how to do different stuff. But what is the thing that sets you apart? And when you're in a creative, um, career, there's a lot of competition, you know? So what is the thing that's going to make you unique and set you apart from everybody else? And that's where all of my great big opportunities have came from that have led to advances in my careers, really from a focus on something that I, was, I did better than someone else or that I, could, that I was proficient at and could show someone that I was good at doing that. Right. And I know like, because we're already talking on like a niche or like being forward with what it is that you do best. I mean, beforehand we spoke a little bit about you you're really on this idea of of find your niche and then diversify value do you want to like break that down a little bit more specifically because i feel like we've been talking about it anyway but like what yep. what do you mean by that like what's in your head on that absolutely so um those examples are a couple examples of the the niche that i found i found that i was a good pro tools operator i also found that uh that i, I knew that i had a lot of experience recording vocals that was one of the things that was always easy for me to do. And I didn't need to have a whole band in the room. I could just find somebody to sing or rap or get in front of a mic. And so my ear was really like fine tuned to microphone placement, uh, to diction, articulation, to timing. Uh, I recorded a lot of hip hop stuff. So, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of the rhythmic cadences of hip hop music. Mm. And, uh, and so my, I just, I was kind of rhythmically in tune to that. And that was like direct strong direction that I could give that applies to really any genre, uh, as far as vocal phrasing goes. Sure. Uh, so that was a specific uh, niche that I found. And, uh, and I had a lot of experience in, in hip hop, which was a little bit unique to Nashville. So I found that there was this community in Nashville of underground hip hop artists that didn't have a commercial studio that they could either afford or one that they could afford, but that there wasn't an engineer that was really excited about working with. Right. And I found a particular um, uh, woman who had grown up in Nashville and was really tied into a lot of the underground artists that were, um, that were making stuff happen in town. And she saw my passion for what I was doing and saw my, my ability and background in, in, in that genre. And she started telling everyone that she knew about me. And wow. through that connection, that led to uh, really early on, like in the first maybe six months of moving to, Na moving to Nashville, you know, losing that opportunity and not really knowing where my business was going to come from. Yeah. Uh, I found this niche in the hip hop community. And um, I started to, I had a steady stream of people, you know, coming in um, one after the other, you know, laying down vocal tracks. And 
really cut my teeth on uh, Pro Tools editing, on, on focusing on vocal performance, on microphone placement, um, vocal tone and delivery, and how you can shape the sound of your voice and, um, and all of that, which, which was a really great skill set to have later on. So I established this um, uh, reputation within the hip-hop community in Nashville. You're, at this point, you're 20, right, Sean? Is that, yeah. really, is that where you're at? You're about 20, 21? Yeah, I was 20 still. Dang, right on, dude. Yeah, so it was, I was really fortunate you know, to, to fall into that. But I, but I mean, it was intentional. I, I went out and I looked right. for the things that, that I could um, connect with and that I, that I could you know, maybe be better than someone else or, or be really proficient at. Absolutely. So in um, so the the idea of diversifying, uh, what happened is that I started. I was working with these artists. I was really passionate about what we were creating, but I started to learn that there wasn't a lot of support for live music for hip hop shows. There, there's countless writers' nights and showcases, and there's there's rock venues, um, but there weren't uh, there was there wasn't really hip hop venues, and uh, and there weren't a lot of venues that were hosting like hip hop nights. Sure. So I talked to a number of the people that I was working with, and I said, Hey, what if I um, tried to find a relationship with a venue in town where we could put on uh, maybe a monthly showcase. And they were all excited about it because they would have to go to Atlanta to play a show or somewhere to like a small town, small town venue, like outside of town um, to be able to find somewhere to play. So right. um, they, they loved the idea, but they were like, man, you're not going to be able to make this happen. Like we've tried and they just, they, they're not really interested in, in booking those types of shows. Um, so I started looking at new venues. And I found a venue that had just opened up that was desperate for shows that had a really great setup, uh, great sound, great lights, a, a huge stage. Um, it looked great, um, sounded great, um, but they were really motivated to get people in. And so I pitched them on this idea. I said, hey, I've, I've got involved in this, this community of underground hip hop in town, and there's really not a place for that. Uh, if we create a, um, a, a high-end experience in a, in a community where we're bringing the, you know, these people together and it's all you know, a positive, a positive vibe and stuff. Would you guys be open to maybe me renting out the space on a monthly basis to, you know, to host it? Mm. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We cover the cost of the sound guy. We'll make, you know, money on the, on the drinks. We'll make it free, um, you know, to come in and, uh, you know, win, win, and we'll be able to spread the word, you know, on our place. So awesome. I went back to the artists and said, Hey, let's set up a, let's set up a monthly showcase. And so I hosted that, uh, that showcase. We had hip hop artists, uh, R and B pop, um, some a little bit of like gospel and stuff and and uh and then spoken word and uh, and that that lasted for uh, probably um uh, about a year or two um eventually the, the the venue ended up like going under but then we started a um a weekly um hip hop battle at uh on the MTSU campus which is in Murfreesboro right outside of Nashville sure and so i i went to this this small venue on the college campus and said hey nobody's doing something like this you got this great community of of artists and we could create something really cool and bring a lot of people in. And, uh, and so I started hosting that and I DJed those, those events. Uh, and that was really a fun way to sort of, to, to add more value to the, the clients that I was working with and to help their careers grow. So That's when awesome. I had some success with that, I started thinking about different ways that I, could, uh, that I could do that. And I started looking at what are the other problems that the artists that I'm looking at have. And so about, I would say about a year and a half into um, to live in there, I started venturing more into singer-songwriter stuff, working with rock bands, working with country artists, um, really diversifying the style of stuff that I was working on. And I found that many of the up-and-coming artists, they, they needed all the same things that the major artists needed. They needed music videos. They needed photo shoots. They needed websites. At that time, they needed uh, marketing on MySpace. And, uh, yep. But none of them yep. had the... Had the they, 
they didn't have the direct connection with someone. Now, there's plenty of people that they could call, but they didn't know where to turn. They didn't know if they were getting a good deal. They didn't know what sort of uh, um, terms to negotiate in a, you know, in a project budget, that sort of thing. Uh, and I had enough knowledge in all of that to be a little little dangerous. So I learned about how to market music on, on MySpace, and I made that a service that I could provide. I used some software to help artists um, get more engagement on, on MySpace, and that was an additional thing that I could help artists with. Uh, I, I learned how to build a basic website, you know, uh, and and helped artists get that that side of things set up. Um, and then I started to connect with uh, videographers and photographers and graphic designers, and uh, and said, hey, sure. I got this client base of you know of artists that you know they're not they're not top tier artists, they don't have huge budgets, but I have a I have a large group of them, and they're all they're all growing, and I'm I'm being selective now about the artists that I'm working with, and um, I be, I believe in them, and I think that if we can group together. Uh, as a network to be able to support artists in this way. It's a win-win for everybody. Uh, and so I found over time, I found the right people to bring in on, on that. And so now an artist could come to me and I focus on producing their record. I'm not a video director. I don't try to get into that, but I could be a project coordinator. I could right. uh, diversify the value that I offer to someone by having the resources to help them you know, build something out. And for me, I found that to be really exciting. So I really enjoyed being a part of the the uh, more um, broader scale of their career as opposed to just producing the record. I mean, that's what I love. I love sitting here in the studio working with artists and and creating music, but I also love seeing that music get in front of people. And I yes. love seeing that music take a visual form. And uh, and I love seeing the artists take a, a, a branding um, you know stance that allows them to be able to build a fan base. And all that stuff is very interesting to me. So I'm authentically engaged in it. I wouldn't recommend that someone diversify into a bunch of different things that they're kind of not that interested in, but they see as being another revenue stream. Right. I, I really focused on where my passions were at. And then the revenue streams just built out of, built out of that. So those relationships with the other providers that I, that I brought in, um, you know, I could have, have, get a percentage of that, that budget. I could do, uh, be a project coordinator to, you know, to help with that. I could consult with an artist to provide those resources for them. And I was able to diversify that that value, and that's where the the, the long term idea of the record shop was really formed. Wow, that's awesome, dude! Like, I feel very connected to what you're saying. With you know, like, first of all, very good point. Don't follow the money, follow the passion, but be smart about how you're going to actually make it work is pretty much what I got from that. Like don't follow the money and do things that are a revenue stream that you see as an opportunity, because I would say that virtually most, or if not every entrepreneur or, or sole proprietor, freelancer, what have you, right? Anyone in that headspace probably has the mind to just endlessly keep creating new ideas that are new revenue streams. It's like you see it all the time. And that's what makes us good at what we do to be able to create new ways of of doing that business. But if you follow the money, if you follow just an opportunity that could create revenue down that rabbit hole, and it's something that you can do, but you don't love, then it's going to be really, really hard to be that authentic person and show up 100% in the way. But definitely follow all the things that that you are good at, that you can do the right way and bring that value in. And the revenue will definitely come because you're just over providing value. And then that just like nat naturally starts turning into some of those ways like that. But I think the reason why, like going back a step, I I'm very connected to what the way that you frame that is 
People ask me a lot because I, I interview a bunch of audio engineers on here because I'm an audio engineer. It's like a, a selfish piece to me or not even selfish, but just like that's what I have as, a, as an interest. I'm following my interests, right? So I interview a ton of engineers on this podcast, but people will ask me, why don't you just make this like an audio engineer podcast? Or why don't you make it like a recording studio interview podcast? The reason is because I also am in love with a lot of those aspects. I I love real estate and I love business and I love helping creatives just like you're saying where like I no doubt in my mind that one of my most peaceful zen like at home places in the world is in the studio with an artist. Like I just get fueled or on stage as an artist myself performing for people. I'm just on fire fueled when I'm in those situations. And that's the end goal and thing I want to do 100% of the time. But I feel so much uh, of that also when I get to go out and see that artist performing and people buying their things, see that artist come from the town and then go on tour, see that artist go out and do that music video that hits X amount of views. Or I, I love being a full, uh, I, I feel like I've planted enough into it at that point that I'm 100% in their project and and committed into their success as as an artist, as a creator and um I I keep this podcast as like a creative entrepreneur creative living so that that way I don't I don't want to be tied down to just that way of thinking because I really see that there's opportunity and different aspects that I enjoy and that I can support in and I also just love uh, you know, venturing down those different avenues in life. I think there's a lot more to life as a whole, other than just what we have a huge passion for as like a single activity, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that I, that one of my mentors talks about a lot is um, to chase impact and then the money will follow you. Mm. And that's really what, where I've built my business around is what impact can I have on the industry and on the artists that I work with. And I know that if I have a strong enough impact on their career, that I'm not going to have to worry about the money. Wow. And that's come true, you know, over and over again. Wow. I think that one of the questions that a lot of people ask when we get into this discussion about uh, diversifying in that way, um, some people say like, well, what if I'm not really like the, you know, the business person and I'm not passionate about that? Sure. What can I do to, uh, to diversify my, my offering uh, if I if I want to maintain my um, focus on the mastery of the one thing that I do, and w- one answer that I that I often give is to educate your clients on what it is that that is great about what you do, so you can have a more efficient relationship with them. An example of that could be like a videographer who has a client that is trying to describe the way that they want like the color balance to be on a video. Sure, and I've found that many technical creatives can sometimes get a little bit of an ego about their professionalism and just say, you know, don't worry about it. I'll, you know, I, I got it. Or almost get like upset when the artist doesn't love the first thing that they do and kind of wants to tweak it a little bit or have some artistic uh, involvement, you know, within it. I find that to be a you know, somewhat common thing, not with everyone, but it's, you know, it's common enough that it's noticeable. Yeah. And so a big differentiator that you could have is um, kind of educate them on like, okay, I think I understand what you're saying. So this is what I would call that. You know, this is the type of like color scheme that I would call it. This is the balance that needs to happen. Let me show you that. And then you'll understand. Now, next time that you work with them, 
they'll be able to speak your language a little bit more, um, you know, and, and explain it in that way. Uh, for someone that might be just like very proficient at like mixing records and they don't necessarily want to deal with like the the producer and the the business side of things, but they just love being in their space and 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 mixing uh, people's projects that they get sent to them. Uh, a great way to to diversify what you, the the value of what you offer to someone is when they're giving you mix revisions to give them a little insight on on what it is and like why it is and what the decisions that are being made. And when they say like um, when they say echo and they, and they really mean reverb. Um, you know, sh show them the difference. Like, oh, echo is this, you know, this delay where the sound is being, you know, repeated in that way. The reverb is like the space that the, you know, the vocal is in, or however you would describe it to them. Right. And I find that through doing that, you're 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 being a resource to them, even if you're not being a resource in a variety of different ways. Like I'm, I might be. Um, you're offering a, a level of service and resourcefulness that is uh, above and beyond what most people would do. And I think that that, in many cases, can can guarantee that you get a return client. Right. I love that. And I think that pairs right with uh, what you were saying earlier, where you're like, I, you're, you were identifying who you were as an engineer and you're like, I'm not the one that only cares about turning the knobs and putting the faders up and down. Like there is like, it's great if you are, if you're just the engineer, that's cool. Lay into that all in is kind of what you're saying. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're not only, you know, in on that, but like, like I, I imagine that you're probably not only in on that because you also have this, um, you know, these ways that you want to touch and make impact on business, and you're kind of trying to mesh between the worlds uh, in that way. But it's like you need to know what type of person you are in that creative space, and then just lean in on what that is instead of trying to, I don't know. You got to explain. You got to explain why it is that you are doing what you're doing, but also like you need to know who you are too. You need to know what type of person you want to be in that role. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess like coming off of this, I want to talk about maybe mind map a little bit, or just all of this. I'm hearing just this intersection between business and being a creative and. I feel like when you were talking to me earlier, you said that that kind of drove to, you know, co-founding that. What do you recommend to people? Because this is definitely something that I see, you know, talked about in in my audience and uh, community is is the balance of of business and creative. Of I don't want to create this thing like you're saying. Like I want to see that on stage. I want to see that out and about. I don't want to create things and be the best creator and then have it never go anywhere, never do anything. But I also don't want to be so much in business world that I'm, I feel like I'm back in the office again, even if I worked so much time to get out of that office for the rest of my life. What do you see in that, that collision between business and creative? Like what's your take on that? I think there's a couple of foundations that help with perspective. And one of those is how bad do you want to be successful? Hmm. And being honest with yourself, like my, my level of, of being successful is like a 15, if it's like one to 10, you know, um, if someone's level is like a seven, you know, um, then they, they might have a certain level of, you know, of career, you know, trajectory, but there's probably going to be a certain bump in the road or a certain like mountain that they're maybe not going to be worth it to them to climb. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, if someone's like a five, there's a, you know, there's a different, uh, approach. So I think first, like knowing how bad do you want to be successful, but also knowing what you mean by being successful. 
And I think a really great barometer for success is, is some, like, some tangible goals uh, and very specific goals, which I've found in a lot of my, my research and, and reading about the most successful people in history uh, is that they, they had and set out to have very specific um, tangible goals. Mm. Uh, so you know, starting with that, that idea of, uh, you know, of having, having the goals and then knowing uh, and what, what that means for you for success and then, and then how, how bad you are, do you want it? So how hard are you going to work and what level of adversity are you willing to overcome in order to go after it? And then the rec- recognition that in order for you to make, be an artist for a living, there, you have to make money in some way. Uh, to be able to finance that. And a mm. lot of artists want the the lifestyle of being able to have the freedom of creativity, but without the work ethic of being uh, resilient to, to, um, to do, to work harder than the next person. Right. So it's a little bit of a foundation of perspective on, uh, you know, on what you want and what your goals are. Then finding the balance is a, is, can, is a very challenging thing. And I think that it's different for everyone. Uh, there's a few things that I've looked at that can help with looking at business as a creative aspect. The first thing that I start with, with a lot of people is what, when you just, when someone asks you what you do, what is your answer? Wow. And I think it's really important to have an answer of, you know, technically what you do, but in a unique way of what makes what you do special. And that's where I came up with the term, uh, sonic storyteller, right? Instead of telling people, I'm a producer and engineer and I own a production company and I manage some projects and we do some video and we do some live recording. Uh, I also like do mixing and I program tracks and make beats and you know, all of that. You go on this laundry list and people's eyes roll back in their head. Uh, and when I, when I would meet someone early on in my career for the first time, that's kind of like where, how the conversation would go. And I was saying all that because I do all of that. And I thought that I needed to kind of tell them everything that I do, hoping that one of those things would be something that they might need. Sure. Uh, but then, then I recognize that that doesn't set me, you know, set me apart. It just makes me look like I'm just trying to do a bunch of different, you know, a, a bunch of different things. So what I found is I started to think about like, wh- what are, what are some of the things that are unique about my approach? Uh, I love, uh, arrangements and production that takes the listener on a journey. I love songs that have uh, a purpose and a narrative. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a storytelling song. But, the, but it, it tells a story in some way, whether that's going out and partying or whether that's a really in-depth um, you know, philosophical idea or emotion. And then the other thing that I, that I really gained from like my childhood was learning about how orchestral instruments used to be used to create a narrative in old recordings where they would like tell a story through using orchestral instruments to be like characters or sound effects. Right. With no vocals. Like you, literally the instrument, the motif, whatever it may be is everything. Yeah. It's all the action. It's the visual. And then it's your imagination to put yourself in that place. And I think that's beautiful. So I really, I think about songs in that way when I'm working on like writing a song or arranging a song or deciding on the instrumentation, I'm thinking about what does that, how does that make me feel and what environment does it put me in? Wow. And when I think about section to section in a, in a song arrangement, I think about the lyric and the intention of what the artist is saying and how they're, how they're delivering it. And I want to think about, well, what sort of sound and instrument and, and what sort of uh, chord voicing and register harmonically is going to bring across that feeling that the, the artist is singing about. Right. And so that's just me. I'm like very visual with, uh, with music. And I, I, there's so many songs that take me to so many different moments in my life. And I think everybody has that experience. So in thinking about 
how to create impactful music. It needs to be universal. It needs to connect. And so my, my thought process just naturally, it wasn't like an intentional thing, but it just naturally fell into this idea of storytelling. And I, I didn't recognize that on my own. There was actually someone that I was meeting with once that asked me to play a bunch of different stuff for them. And they, they asked me the question, like, um, what, what, what would you say your style is? And that's a really hard question for me to answer because um, I, you know, I work with all kinds of different artists, you know, ranging the gamut of genres. And, right. Uh, and so I, I, I didn't have a great answer. I was like, well, I, I just, I really like working with artists whose music I believe in and that I connect with artistically. And I, I feel like that's a little unique, but it's still kind of vague, you know? And she said, you know what I hear? I hear that you really like moments in songs. And I translated that into my love of dynamics. When I was a kid, I always loved when songs would break down and there'd be like a certain section where like it would just be like drums and vocals or something or there'd be this this moment that would just be this dramatic, you know, change of scenery. Yeah. And then I started thinking about like why that impacted me and and then thought about my visual insight on insight to music. And that's what led me to think about myself as a sonic storyteller, someone that takes sounds and tries to tell a story um through an artist's song. That's awesome. So in presenting myself that way, it it separates me a bit, I think, in the way that I that I represent it. It also it also uh provokes um uh, more questions from people when I when I talk with them. So now they're interested in learning more. Like, wow, what does that entail? And then I can talk a little bit more about like my philosophy and my process and that maybe that connects with them. Um, but it comes from a very uh, authentic place. The other big part of, of my, I guess what defines me as a producer is, is my um, belief in serving the artist's vision. And uh, that's something that we hear about like a lot more, I think now, um, there's a lot more of this collaborative kind of like effort, but um, I know like early on, um, a lot of the stories that I would hear would be, you know, artist comes in and producer says, this is your sound and this is what, you know, you're supposed to do because this, because I, I know what I'm doing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and they just kind of follow their league. So like, well, they're the professional. So they, you know, go after it. And I think in some cases there's, there's a case to be made for that approach with certain sure. artists and certain projects. So there's never a one size fits all thing to anything to, that I say. That's my disclaimer. But in, but in my experience, I really uh, got, a, got a lot of passion out of that collaborative process and looking at the artist's vision and then getting creative as a problem solver and saying, okay, how do we take this idea that they have and then look at like the trends within the market and the current sounds that are happening and the stuff that's kind of new and, and how do we create something new but still make it kind of sound familiar and then unique to the artist. And that's always the, the really fun like puzzle for me. So I focused on the artist's vision. And then I found a quote that, I, that really hit home with me about the impact that I wanted to have in my career in the music industry. It's by a philosopher named William James. And he wrote that the best use of life is to use it for something that will outlast it. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things about what we have the privilege to do as creatives is that we can take an idea or a thought uh, or a concept and then build something tangible ourselves or with the collaborative process of a team, uh, regardless of whether you're a producer or a um, uh, a business card designer, you know, you, yeah. you can, you can take a, an idea and a concept and bring it to life in a tangible form. And, uh, and so that's where the, the, my mission as a producer and the mission of the record shop, uh, formulated into, uh, a company that seeks out to help artists achieve their artistic vision and create art that outlasts us. So I learned that within like one sentence, I could tell people what I am and why I do it in a impactful way that is very authentic that I don't personally think is cliche because it comes from a very personal place and, and, it, and it's very clear and it leads to more questions. So when we think about 
how we take business and get creative with it and find that intersection, that's a big starting point for me when I talk to artists. I ask them, what do you say when someone asks you what you do? If someone's a songwriter, someone's a graphic designer, someone's a videographer, you know, they, they sort of have the terms of what they do. But that, that's just, that, that's like your technical skill. What is it that you like, what are you creating? What do you, what do you feel like you're doing? What is the impact that you want to have on, on the world or on your fan base? Right. Um, and, then, uh, and then why do you do it? Um, you know, there's the, 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 the most um, common thing that I get when I ask artists that is they say, well, um, I want to be able to have my music connect with people. Uh, and that's great. That's a very, you know, powerful thing. We want music to connect. Um, but why do we want it to connect? How do we want it to connect? What impact will it have? So recently I was working with an artist and we, we started with that sort of idea. Um, um, uh, I, 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 like to, uh, I like to create music and I want, pe- I want to create music that people can connect with was basically her initial like statement of what it is that, that she does. Right. Uh, and so we dove in a little bit deeper in that. And after brainstorming, um, I, I don't remember the exact like word for word thing, but the, the idea was that um, she wanted to create music that would empower people to connect and heal. So we had a, a specific way and we used the, we used the, we found the word empower to be a really special word. We wanted to find, find a, a word that would make a statement and be impactful and be strong, but not vulnerable. Um, and, uh, and then have the, have the, the ability of like, what is the action that will happen with that? Uh, and so with that, you know, now she has a great Instagram tag. She has a motto on her website. Um, she has, she has a, a way of describing uh, the impact that she wants to have with her music. Um, and it doesn't need to be that serious. Uh, it can be something funny. It can, you know, it can have, um, some, there was a email signature that I saw today from a business consultant that says, um, I want to work on cool projects with cool people. And that <laughs> excited me. Um, because I know that that person isn't going to work on something that they don't think is cool just because they're going to get paid for it. And they want to be around people that they enjoy being around. And that tells me a bit about that person's personality. So it can also be as like, as free and light as that. Cool. Uh, and, uh, and, and and so I think that's a starting point. Now, once you have like your goals, what you look at success is, how bad you want it, and then what you do and why you do it, then you can start to take that foundation and apply it to everything that you do. Whenever you're in a session, you're writing a song, whenever you're recording, whenever you're on stage, whenever you're talking with a, with a client about a creative idea and, and coming up with a, a new project, you can ask yourself, am I, am I living up to, the, uh, to my goals and to the reputation that I want to create uh, for myself? Sure. And so it gives you this sort of foundation to roll back from. And it all came from creativity because we had to think creatively about how to describe what it is that we do. And we can set ourselves apart um, through, through doing that. Uh, and so I think that's kind of the, the foundation of how we start to you know, bridge that. Um, and, uh, and then we have to, we have to look at how do we take that understanding of it and then apply that to how we, you know, deal with a, a business. So when we're writing a song and we take that motto that we created, we know that this music is supposed to have that impact. And then the people listening to it know what our intention is. And yeah. it's all rooted within that idea, uh, which leads them to hopefully be connected because they have a personal connection to that idea. Rather than just saying, I would like my music to connect with people, we have a specific um, indication of that. So there's a specific type of person that will, that will connect with it. Right. Uh, and, then, and then once we have that foundation, then we dig deeper into um, you know, practices and, and exercises and um, daily routines and, and rituals that can really help to inspire productivity and creativity and inspiration. Wow. Um, dude, that was a lot to, to drop. 
<laughs> but <laughs> very it's not too much. I just I get excited about this stuff. No, no, I love it, man. I just like I'm usually more of a chatty Kathy and I'm just like I kind of just need to let it soak in a little bit, you know? Um I mean I you just said quite a bit in terms of putting those two together. Really, really I actually took some notes down here of kind of your process for that. And what I love about having that kind of way to break people down, you probably do that with each client you get before you even fully understand who that person is and what they're trying to do. And it's like, not, you know, first and foremost, if they haven't thought that way before, it helps them get really, really clear on what it is that they're about to try to get done. But then it also aligns you to like perfect to work on whatever it is that you're trying to do with them because you know exactly what they're trying to do. All of your interests in what they're doing is in their best interests of trying to achieve that thing. So whenever you're coming from advice from your own background, it's always trying to back that one thing. And then you're working on the back half to make sure, okay, now that we've worked to achieve making this piece of creativity, how are we using our tools to make sure that it now comes across to the audience in that way as well? Because that's a total different animal to tackle. Is like now we've worked and we've created this product to do this thing that you said to do. Now we need to make sure that people be- understand and believe that that is doing that thing. And what can we do in processes to put that across? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure. And I think that it can get creative that way, you know, and then some people may feel on the, on the surface that, well, that's not as like innocent as like my just passion for doing what I love doing. Yeah. Uh, and, and it, it takes, but we, we just have to switch our perspective a little bit. If I told someone, if you go through this process and you're able to, you know, articulate that and then it, and then it flows into your creativity and you can connect with more people, is that worth it? I would think most people would feel, feel like it is. And I've seen time and time again, that that type of approach and thought process is, um, is definitely a valuable way to help build a, build a career in any aspect of create creative, uh, industries. Sure. So like, uh, I'm going to ask you like one more question, then we should probably hit I do like five questions at the end that I like to ask everyone because it's awesome. fun to just go through and hear all these different backgrounds, answer these questions. But real quick, before we hit those five questions, I wanted to ask you because you had, you had left off on that little tail end of that conversation, just saying, um, you know, once we figured out that vision and we've gone into all these steps to portray it, then we can then break that down. You know, earlier you talked goals and attainable goals. You also talked about how we break that down in some type of, um, you know, way of being throughout the day, what, what types of things do you kind of go into for, for time management and for, you know, forming a plan like that for, for someone throughout the day to implicate something like that? Over the years, I've, I've formulated a bit of a, of a system for that, to try to find the, the balance between structure and um, freedom for creativity. Right. You need both. And absolutely. 100%. Uh, but structure isn't always a bad thing. And I think as I explain how this works, you kind of see, for, at least for me, how it's allowed me to become more present and, and uh, less, less reactive and more in the moment. Nice. So the, the starting point goes all the way back to those goals. We, uh, we look, I, I look at what my long-term goals are, and then I look at the actionable things that I can do on a consistent basis that are going to move me towards those goals. Hmm. I write down a list of those things underneath those goals. And I have a little uh, thing on my calendar that I, I'm always adding to those. 
So anytime I come up with like, I should probably, I should try to find a way to talk to this person. Um, I should research this thing. I should learn about this new technology. You know, whatever it is, I put it on this little list and that list just keeps growing and then it gets smaller and then it grows. Is that digital um, or, it, or paper, Sean? Uh, for, for me, it's digital. I think everyone has their own uh, opinion. You know, some people have just like a written calendar. They really like the idea of crossing stuff off. Yeah. That's my wife's thing. She, she loves like the, I don't know if she'll white out. I'm like, you could just delete it on your computer, but she wants to white it out and then like write over it and then cross it off. Nice. Uh, it's so cute. Uh, but I, I just like it all being there. I also like how I can access it on any device that I'm in. So regardless of which, which studio I'm in, um, I can pull it up on any one of my systems. Everything is right there and I can, you know, take a look at it. I can update things on my phone, my laptop, any of the computers in the, in the facility, like anytime. So cool. for me, that's what I, I use iCal because it connects to all my Apple devices, but, awesome. uh, the, the, um, the specific calendar, uh, doesn't matter as much as just, ha- you know, having the, having the calendar. So we have, um, the uh, list of long-term goals, we have the short-term actionable items that we can do on a consistent basis to move towards uh, those goals. And then I had to make a commitment to myself on like what my working hours were going to be. And when I talk about working hours, I don't mean like the hours that I am scheduled to work. I mean the hours of every day that I'm going to be focused on working towards my future. Okay. And uh, eventually, I, did, I couldn't start this way, but eventually I was able to organize a schedule in my life where I could have my um, daily hours be from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. Monday through Friday. Um, I, I take the weekends off to spend time with my wife and, um, and I, I have Monday through Friday focused um, on, uh, on the business and on, on what I'm working on. Wow. So that's different for everybody. Early on in my career, I could not have done that. I didn't have the flexibility to be able to have engineers work in the studio late hours and, you know, and all that stuff. So I had to, I had to do it all, you know, all the time. So that's, that's not something that's as easy to do right away. But if you can set a, set a, a, a general average for what your sort of daily hours are going to be, that's a great starting point. So um, I look at the, the first thing that we do to add to this calendar is that we put all of our responsibilities on there that we have to do. So let's say we're not full time in our creative career yet and we got a side gig. You have scheduled hours probably that you, that you have to do that, right? So that goes on the calendar that takes up that time. Then you have the gigs that you're working on. So uh, if you're a uh, if you're a musician that's playing live, you know you have your shows. Um, if you're um, you know designer that has meetings with clients or design work that needs to be done, you lay all that out on your your schedule. Um, you know, for me, I have the the studio schedule. We have two different studios here, and I have the engineers running, so I have a couple different schedules laid out. And then um, once my week is planned out that way, where I have all the responsibilities laid out, right? Um, th- then I look at how I'm going to start every day. Now, I, I call this my morning ritual. It doesn't need to be as goofy as that. It could be just like however you start your day. You know? Okay. And uh, what, I, what I found that re- really works, works well for me is a focus on my mind and my body. I, uh, I wake up and I make sure that I fuel my body and my mind with food uh, right away. Um, I have breakfast. It's, it's a, a light breakfast, but I eat something to get some, some energy and some calories in my body and to fuel my brain because our brain needs energy to be able to keep working. Right. So um, I want to want to prepare myself in that way, um, and then I uh, I exercise for about an hour and a half. Um, usually it's like a combination of like running and weights and like that sort of thing. And um, so I, I do that. Then when I get done with that, I uh, read for about a half an hour, um, and then I do a little bit of like meditation, and then I read my goals. So um, how what and, time periods does that happen in during the day? Uh, That's happening usually at from six? like usually from like six a.m. or like six thirty until like eight thirty. Okay. Um, and then, um, and then once I'm done with that, I'll get ready for the day. I'll be in the studio by nine. Cool. 
uh, and the first hour of my day I have um, dedicated for answering emails, um, responding back to people, making phone calls, um, sending files, you know, doing anything that uh, putting out fires that happened overnight, you know, any of the stuff that needs to happen. Right. And then I have my um, sessions that will happen generally, you know, between 10 a.m. and not eight, nine, 10 p.m. Uh, and uh, but every day I don't necessarily have the full 12 hours blocked off for sessions. A lot of times I do. But when I have the space in between, I look at those holes and then I go to my list of the small actionable items to move towards my goals. And I put one of those on, on each little space that I have Wow! to fill out my day. Now, what this did for me early on, I had a lot of space on my calendar. So um, I, uh, at, at first, I tried to do a lot and I, and I couldn't be consistent with it because it was too much. It was like, it was too overwhelming. I was putting too much pressure on myself. I couldn't get all the things done that I wanted to do. I felt like I, I wasn't accomplishing anything. So I had to scale it back. And initially, I just went to like one thing a day, and I would I would put that put that down, and that would be something that I would I would work on. So an example of that, one of my early goals when I first started when I first moved to Nashville was to be able to make a living 100% through re- engineering and producing. Right. In order to do that, I needed to build a strong client base. In order to build a strong client base, I needed to go out to shows. I needed to meet people and connect with new potential artists that I could work with. So I I made a commitment to myself that. Uh, every night I would go out, if I wasn't in a session, I would go out to a, a show and I would be, I would, I would pick a specific show and a specific artist that I would go out intentionally to meet that person. And I would do some research on the front end, you know, to do that. Um, nowadays it can be done more like, you know, social media. I highly recommend in-person stuff, but social media can be great as well. Sure. Um, you know, any, whatever the, that small goal is that you feel like is going to move you towards that, make sure you do that. Like have one of those each day. Now, what I found was that after a few weeks, once I was able to find my, my flow with it, because I was not every day consistent right away, I, I had distractions. I, I wasn't as um, uh, disciplined as I am now. Uh, but uh, when, I, when, I found, when I found my stride, I was able to do that consistently for a period of time. Uh, that It started to build up. And what I found was that each one of those little things, whenever I like, could face ad- adversity or something really wasn't going the way that I wanted, I could look back and say, well, yeah, I mean, that deal didn't work out, but look at all the people I met this week. I just look forward to what's going to happen in the next couple of months because of all those connections that you made and the next projects that's going to come in, you know? Right. And, um, and all of that just gave me a different perspective, a different way of looking at things. Instead of looking at what's not happening, it gave me the opportunity to look at what could happen and what's going to happen. Mm. And, uh, and just being in a state of mind where you always expect something awesome to occur. And, and that, that happened. It didn't, it wasn't something I had to force myself upon. It was something that I did by a practice that just naturally trained myself to have a different perspective and like appreciation for that, you know, that progress. Cool. Uh, and then stay, you know, staying consistent with that just allows you to, you know, to grow over time. So that that's one, you know, small way that I was able to do that. And what I found the big thing from this, when I talked to a lot of artists initially, they're like, man, this sounds like a lot. Like this is, uh, this sounds like a lot of structure. Like I didn't get into music or like creativity for, uh, for having this kind of structure. I didn't want to have a real job. And now this sounds like a real job. Right. But we go back to our purpose. Why are we doing this? What is the impact that we want to have? What I'm doing each time gives me so much more inspiration every time I take that action because I know that it's one small step towards that larger goal. Right. And it gives me the ability to look forward to the future, you know, and be, and be excited about it. So I found myself being less reactive in like, what's the next thing that I got to do? What should I do? Less overwhelmed by all of the different options by just giving myself one little thing, you know, that I could work on. And then over the course of a number of years, I've gotten to a point where now I feel very comfortable in having my day back to back, um, you know, scheduled out, um, 
12 hours at a, at, at a minimum a day, um, focused on, on my future. And I get super excited and amped up and, uh, I, I don't need caffeine or, um, anything to be able to like, keep me moving. It's just my, my passion for, for what I'm going after and the fulfillment that I get from doing it. Wow. So that's one of the things that has worked really well for me and is, is helped a lot of, uh, a lot of artists out when they can make the commitment to doing it. But I would say start small and just be consistent. It's not the, the size of the action or like trying to do magnanimous things every day. What just would you take some small action on a consistent basis? You have great results. What do you recommend to someone that they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm bought in geo. I, I want to go that route. What's like something that you'd recommend to them to start? Like, what's like an example of something small that they could do on a day to day to move them towards a goal? Like, or some things that you've seen in the past for people that you've talked to about that. Um, I, well, I think it depends on what your, what your goals are right on, on like what that, you know, what that action would be. Uh, I think that one of the things that all of us as creatives might struggle with a bit, or many of us as creatives struggle with a bit is social media and how to interact with people on social media, because it feels, uh, uncomfortable, like a self-promotion, you know, you kind of, you, you don't want to be like, you know, pushing yourself out there, you know, in, in that yeah. way. So one thing would be to, to, uh, to make a like a, a daily or like weekly practice to set aside a time to focus on how you can pro, how you can um, approach your social media in a in a lifestyle sort of way and just sharing things that you're passionate about, not necessarily like talking about like yourself or your music or like go buy my stuff, but introducing yourself and the things that you enjoy to other people. Cool. And then you know finding a you know finding a connection that way. Um, but I, I think the one thing that everyone can do every day is to find a, a morning ritual that works for them. And that could be five minutes of thinking about things that you're really grateful for um, to just like reading something that is going to bring you some new knowledge or insight, um, you know, every day. Uh, I, I think finding, finding something that where you can educate yourself on something new and continuing to learn, it keeps your brain sharp. It keeps it regenerating. It keeps it healthy. Uh, and it allows you to, to stay on the forefront of what's happening in your industry. Awesome. hundred percent agree with that. We've definitely talked about that a little bit on the show. So that very, very good thing to do. So cool. So I have like five questions that I ask at the end. Can I hit you with those? Yeah. Sweet. So don't, uh, you know, you don't have to think too hard on them. I like purposely don't people don't tell people ahead of time. Cause I really like that gut reaction that you get. And, uh, yeah. if you do, do you need a sec to like answer it or think about it or something? It's all good. But um, first one, I always kind of get throughout the podcast, but I like hearing it pointed like this, where I, I I ask, you know, with what you're doing right now, Gio, in terms of working with these artists and working with these creatives and, and what you're doing, why is it that you chose to do, you know, you move when you were 20, you face all these adversities. Why did you, why is the thing that you do right now, the thing that you had to do to overcome all of those things, put all of this time in, why is this the one thing that you have to do? Because something told me that it was, hmm. there was never a question. I've never had a backup plan. Wow. And I don't think anyone should, that my personal opinion, I don't think anyone should. If you can, if you can create a backup plan for yourself, then you might question whether it's the right. Mm. That's powerful, man. Yeah. I mean, I think I've analyzed things all the time, but I, myself, I'm like, 
this is the thing that I have to do. And then people are like, all right, well, what if? And I'm like, it has to work. I don't know what to tell you. Like, it just has to. I, I don't know. Like, when you're that passionate about it, it's just like, it has to happen. I don't know what to tell you, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's just we, who we I am. We get what we accept. Love that. Cool. Uh, along the way, say you could take the lesson that you learned in the moment and magically give it to someone else. Like, they didn't have to endure the thing that you did. What is the worst thing that you did or worst thing that you came across along the way that you'd be like, hey, learn this lesson, like, boom, you have the lesson, but don't do this thing. Like, that sucked. In anything that you do. That's a really, that's a really good question. Um <laughs> Ask me again. <laughs> okay. So along the way, you you have um you have this magic that you're able to take the lesson that you learned from the shitty thing that happened and just give it to someone. They automatically boom have sucked in that lesson the way that they that you have. What would you tell someone that they shouldn't do? Like don't do this thing because it was awful but still gain this lesson along the way. Like here's some advice for like, don't do this thing. Even though I really still want you to learn this lesson. So like I might tell someone that they need to touch the top of a burner of a stove to truly never touch that thing again. Right. But it doesn't mean that I want them to, if I could magically make them understand how awful that is to touch the burner. How would you, what would you say is like the worst thing? Don't do this thing, but definitely learn the lesson. Don't expect yourself to accomplish everything that you imagined uh, the way that you imagined it right away mm. and then think that you're not worthy of what it is that you thought you were going after in the first place. Wow. Can you repeat that? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's on podcast. It's cool. Yeah. We recorded wow. it. Um, yeah. I think, I think that just, somebody just told me that. Uh, I think that that, Came, that comes from my when I talk to some of my friends that aren't in the music industry and they, they've known me since I was a kid and knew that that I was always this way They're like this was what I was going to do it was either I was going to play in the NHL or I was going to be a, a successful record producer nice and uh and um and and uh and the music was definitely the thing and I, I there was no way around it like I, that was what was going to happen yeah but then once you get in the middle of it and the level of adversity is like nothing that I could have imagined and the ups and the ups and downs really. Yes. Like I know that you know that it's going to be challenging, but you don't realize that how many times you're going to feel like you've made it and then you haven't. And then you feel like, Oh, I got it all worked out. And then you feel like your career's over. <laughs> and what I learned was that the reason that that kept happening to me was because I was climbing the ranks in my career. So every time you graduate to another state of the another level in life or in general um, or the industry, right? Um, now you're surrounded by people that are at a higher level, and the people that you had to like grow with or surpass to get to that you know get to that level. Now those people are the step above you, right? And so there's always somebody else that's going to be at that next thing. So I would get to these milestones that I 
thought was like the milestone. But then you see, now that I'm here, I see this level that I can get to. Right. And as a creative and as a, a constant, like, you know, dreamer and searcher for, you know, for new things and ideas, we're always going to be going after that. Right. It's like so you, I had to you're... learn to not get, get down on myself for, you know, for what was what I what wasn't happening the way that I thought it was, because it's all happening the way that it's supposed to. And it's all going to continue to happen. What's great is that we get to live in the moment and do it. And that's what I had to start to learn. That's awesome. Yeah. It's like you're you're like a pro hiker. And you see this one mountain that you target and you're like, I'm going to climb to the top of that mountain. But then when you climb to the top of the mountain, you can see because now you're at that vantage point, there's other mountains in the landscape and you're like, shit, those are way taller, like a thousand or 2000 higher than what I was at. Now you're at that and you're like, well, I got to climb those mountains. I'm like the best hiker ever. I have to climb those mountains, but you wouldn't see it unless you were at that spot. You wouldn't feel that pressure unless you were at that spot and driving to be at that spot. So it's like you can always continually keep getting better. And that's awesome if you're that type of person. But you can't not enjoy the process of doing it. What what was the sense of doing the hike if you don't like hiking? If you like hiking that much that you're going to hike to the top and then see that, then you need to enjoy the hike other than just finding the other spots that you can hike at and, and beat it. Uh, it's kind of like a silly analogy, but that's like what that made me think of is like you, you get to that spot and you're like supposed to take the breath and like breathe and be like, I can't believe I just did this. But like so many amazing people that I meet that are that good at what they do, they never do that because they get to that spot instead of going like the, I can't believe I made this. They're just like, look at all these people that I'm now in a club with that are so much better than me. I have to beat them. And it's like that competitive spirit in those people, it really makes them ridiculously good at what they do. That's what makes amazing people, but you have to enjoy it because you're talking about earlier creating things that outlast yourself. And you have to, just like what you're saying, it's like, it's, you don't, we don't live a crazy amount of time. So you need to enjoy all of the amount of time that you're living doing these things. And then you also hopefully are creating things that will outlast yourself. And those two together, I think really for me, that's like the point of doing anything. Absolutely. Spark me up, man. <laughs> if you, if, if someone wants to get that in a very poetic and very impactful way, there's a book called for everyone by Jason Reynolds. Oh, cool. I recommend that every person on earth read. It's the most inspirational thing that I've ever read. Awesome. So that will be in the show notes, guys. If you are driving or walking a dog and want to check it out, wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. I'll put a link in that for that book. And obviously all your links too, man. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, cool. Um, flip side of that, that spurred just such a good conversation. So I, we just kind of went off, but um, yeah. best thing you've ever done. You know, like you're like, hell yeah, do this. Like everyone should do this. And it could even, it usually plays off of the last thing. So it's okay if you, if it does. Best thing I've ever done. Uh, married my wife. Cool. Right on, she's man. My best friend. What's up? I said, she's my best friend. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. And yeah. I had a, I had a vision that I was going to marry her when we were in high school, but we didn't start dating until we were older and out of college and stuff. Wow. Um, crazy, crazy story. But that's, that's probably like the best thing that I've done. Like every, it sounds like everything that you have done at all, you were just like, I have to do this thing. (laughs) 
you know? That's pretty interesting. I never thought about that way. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to have to marry her. I'm going to have to be a, a sonic storyteller. You know what I mean? Like, you just, <laughs> yeah. then, oh, that's crazy, man. I, I, wrote it in a, I wrote it in a diary when I was 16. Wow. We, uh, we, got, we got married when we were 25, 24. Wow. Crazy. Right on. Cool. Um, this you kind of just did, but I, I always ask, like, are there any resources that you recommend? Could be a book, podcast, video, website. Like, what re- resources would you recommend to people that are chasing these types of things that we're talking about? Uh, For Everyone by Jason Reynolds. Cool. That, that book that I mentioned. Um, I read nonstop. So like I could just give you like a whole library of stuff. Top uh, three. The The War of Art. I've uh, heard that a, one. It's an, an incredible book. War of Art. Um, uh, I really like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Uh, it's an old school book. Um, and, but the, the, it, the, it, he was the grandfather of self-development and any speaker that you hear that speaks about, you know, personal growth and, and development and stuff. They basically, they got it from somebody that got it from Napoleon Hill kind of all came from, uh, from the research that he done did, did when he was working for Rockefeller wow. um, in like the twenties and stuff. And he spent 25 years researching the most successful people on earth and then, uh, encompassing this, this book or this process for, uh, for, financial success and you know and, and wealth as well as impact and purpose sure uh which i which i think is great it's a book that i read like every couple of years awesome uh as far as um uh as far as listening stuff there is a uh playlist on spotify called fearless motivation that i like a lot it might be a little aggressive or like over the top for some people but if you like motivational speakers and like cinematic music and really cool energy and something to like lift up your day yeah um i would uh I would highly uh, recommend that. Cool. And, uh, there's a bunch of speakers that I love. Uh, like Eric Thomas and Les Brown uh, are two of my, uh, my favorites. Cool. Thank you. Last one is the easiest, Sean. I'm not going to uh, ruin your day on this one. Is just where do people find you? If they want to check out the record shop, they want to check out Mind Map or anything they're up to, where do people keep up with you and check out your stuff if they want to come hang out? The Record Shop Nashville is our website. Uh, RecordShopNashville.com is our website. And uh, social media is you know, The Record Shop. And then on Instagram, The Record Shop Studios. Cool. And our program uh, for finding the, your own personal intersection between art and commerce is at MindMapTribe.com. Mm. And, uh, and if you want to get in touch with me, you can go to my website, our website, uh, email me there, and I will respond to every email that I get. I know how challenging it was when I was looking for, and as I still look for direction and mentorship in, in, uh, in my career path, and I've made a commitment to myself to respond to anyone that reaches out with, uh, you know, with a message or, or is in look for help uh, or advice. I'm more than happy to share what I can uh, to try to help. And if, if someone's passionate about finding a career in any sort of like creative endeavor, I know how great it feels to find fulfillment in doing something that you love for a living and that's what I love helping people with the most. Awesome. Cool. Yeah, guys, definitely go check it out. Um, you know, I, I've been poking around some of your sites, Sean, but I'm going to jump in full force this week after we talked because now it's it's really cool to... I always love dipping in a little bit just so I understand people enough to to really 
talk on here, but then I don't like going all the way in till I get to know a person like this. And now it's really cool to go into a site and see some of the things more. So uh, I'll jump in on some of those. All right, guys, that's going to do it for episode 61 of the Waking Up From Work podcast. Hope you got some goodies out of that. Definitely go hit up Sean if you want to talk with him and check out what he's up to. If you want to check out the books and resources he recommended, I've included those in the show notes below or at wakingupfromwork.com slash show notes. Go ahead and check those out. If you want to check out these episodes live, we go live every Thursday night at Dave Wake Up on Instagram, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. You can ask us questions. You can chat with our guests. It's a lot of fun. Anyone that's been on there right now, we really enjoy having you. So thank you so much for hanging with us on there. Anyone that is listening right here, we enjoy and thank you on here just as much. So thank you guys for listening to the podcast. I know that when this is coming out, we're still in some crazy times and I wish nothing but good vibes and and health and safety to everyone in our community and just everyone in general. But uh recently had the opportunity to be on the Creative Guts podcast. So that was a lot of fun hanging out with Sarah and Laura on there talking about crawl space audio and Broadwing and this podcast with them and their creative community. And I was so pumped up talking with them that I invited them onto here. So next two episodes, I actually broke them up because I wanted the chance to take in who they were from our audience and questioning and discussion aspect separate from who they are on their podcast that they host together. So this next episode, 62, you're going to check out Laura. And then the episode after that, you will get to hear from Sarah, both of them from the Creative Guts podcast. Go ahead and check them out ahead of time if you want. If not, we're going to be chatting with them the next couple of weeks. All right. Tons of love to you guys. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.